Welcome to this ASVO podcast on Wine Australia's Climate Atlas and Managing a Changing Climate. This podcast is part of a series looking at current best practice in the vineyard and winery and what's on the horizon. Planning how to develop a vineyard and what to plant is a more difficult task than ever due to climate change. What though if some of the uncertainty about what lies ahead was removed? G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and that's the intention of Wine Australia's Climate Atlas. In this episode, we're going to delve into the atlas and also find out how producers are applying it. One of the key people behind the atlas was Dr Sharon Harvey, Research and Development Program Manager at Wine Australia, and she joins us for this ASVO podcast. Sharon, thanks for your time. No worries, Drew. Thanks for having me. Sharon, you oversaw the three-year project with the University of Tasmania that developed Australia's wine future, a climate atlas. What exactly is it and what problems does it help solve? Basically, it maps out what all the wine regions in Australia will look like in the future with regard to climate. So it answers the question, what will my region's climate look like in the future? And the idea is that if you know what's coming, winemakers and viticulturists and Grape growers and whole regions, in fact, can start to plan around how their businesses might adapt to a changing climate. Sharon, before we delve into some of the amazing details of the Atlas, let's just distill one thing before we go any further, the difference between weather and climate. Yeah, that's a good question, Drew. Look, my understanding is that weather describes what's happening, I guess, essentially in the atmosphere on a day-to-day basis or at a specific time, which tends to be fairly short term, whereas climate describes the chance of experiencing particular kinds of weather at a specific location within a set period of time. And that can go out to much longer time periods. So we're looking at sort of overall trends rather than specific weather events. Your overall trends for this atlas are all the way out to 2100. That Mm -hmm. sounds like an enormous amount of information. How detailed is the science behind the climate atlas? Well, it's very detailed actually. And, And this is the first time we've worked with climatologists in any grape and wine R&D. And it was the first time that this group of climatologists had worked with an industry, actually. So it was a really um, good match up for us and for them. And it was a research team at the Climate Futures Group at the University of Tasmania. Dr. Rebecca Harris led the project and Dr. Tom Remini did most of the work. And it uses the most up-to-date climate information that we have in Australia and at the finest resolution available. And it looks at indices that are most relevant for wine grape growing. So using um, Saudi researchers and, and other people in the industry, they went out to the industry in all these different regions and talked with them about what the indices are that are important to them around grape growing. So for us, it's temperature, rainfall, and heat and cold extremes are the main things that were looked at in the atlas. So they're the, they're the factors that sort of affect the growing of the crop. And then the climatologist used a combination of six different global climate models in combination to predict what might happen into the future. And they used the high emissions scenario that unfortunately we're currently tracking. Sharon, it's a phenomenal amount of data to pull together. When someone looks at the Atlas, what do they see? 
It does look a bit like a traditional atlas. So all that data is distilled down for each region. It's all set out in graphical form so that you can interpret it fairly easily. Having said that, it's not necessarily self-explanatory. So I recommend having a look at the introduction and there's quite an extensive easy to read introduction which tells you how to interpret a lot of the information um, and you can download that from the Wine Australia website with the atlas and you can also download the entirety of Australia or you can download it state by state or you can just download your region with the introduction if you want to. The entire atlas is 487 pages long so it's it's quite a read but for each region as well there's a cover page which summarizes what you might expect to happen in the future so that can be a really good starting point. Sharon you mentioned the cover page I've been going through the atlas myself first of all that opening page and it has the four key indices that the industry prescribed in it and one of the indices in there is aridity which is a term Mm -hmm. that I'm not familiar with. Aridity is a combination measure of, I guess, heat and dryness. So it's an indication that things will be heating up, but the rainfall is not going to increase enough to compensate for the increased evaporation that you get. So I guess aridity kind of combines that warming aspect with also drying. You see an upward trend in that under most climate change models and... We certainly see an upward trend across Australia's wine regions and also in international wine regions. Sharon, what's the Climate Atlas tell us about growing grapes in Australia in the future? It tells us that conditions are going to change and we've already seen pretty significant change in our climate, as the Atlas points out. And certainly in wine grape growing, we've been adapting to those changes for quite some time. And those changes will continue. So even if we stopped our emissions today, there's enough CO2 in the system that will um, drive changes in climate for many years to come. So there's still going to be some adaptation required. It tells us that there's several consistent trends across regions, and I've sort of touched on the, the aridity side of things. So the future climate will be generally warmer and drier, It'll be more variable season to season. That's not necessarily captured in the atlas, but there'll be more intense heat waves expected in many regions. It's important to remember that this affects not only the vines themselves, but also people working outdoors and increases the likelihood of heat stress in people working outside. It tells us that, as I sort of said, the changes that grape growers have already experienced over the past 20 years are going to continue. Things like bud burst occurring earlier, grapes ripening earlier and um, vintage compression are all likely to continue. It tells us that we might need to change our vineyard management practices, our wine styles and potentially the varieties that we grow so that our grapevines continue to be productive and produce high quality grapes into the future. And I think some of these things represent a real opportunity given that we, we grow such a small proportion of the available grapevine germplasm that's around. We really rely on, well, mostly 12 varieties in Australia. There really is a lot of scope to adapt by growing different varieties. One of the key outputs from the atlas is analogue sites. So you can use the atlas to find regions that are similar now to what your region is going to look like in the future. So for example, if you're in the Yarra Valley, 
You can look at some of the graphical representations in the atlas and see that you're going to trend towards what Margaret River looks like now. So you can look to Margaret River producers and, and see what varieties they're growing and see what adaptation techniques they employ and see what's working for them now to think about maybe what you could do in your region in the future. So the power of it is that it tells you what's coming and it allows growers and winemakers to make informed decisions about adaptive strategies and, and in a transformational way, a long-term, with a long-term view rather than the, the shorter-term adaptive strategies that we're doing in our vineyards now. Sharon, at over 400 pages long, we've only just touched the surface. Where can growers go to find out more about what's predicted for their region? So they can um, download the Climate Atlas from the Wine Australia website, either in its entirety or region by region or whatever it is that you'd like to look at. And we also did last year a webinar series on the Climate Atlas where we did a bit of a deep dive into each region and each regional cluster and the researchers sort of stepped through what the findings were. So they're available on the Wine Australia website too and they're probably a, a really good place to start actually. That's Dr Sharon Harvey from Wine Australia. The Climate Atlas points out the challenges Australian grape growers and winemakers are going to face over the next 80 years. Someone who's already started dealing with these is Ashley Keegan, Chief Executive Officer at Fable Operations. He has responsibility for vineyards in 10 regions ranging from Margaret River in the west to Heathcote in Victoria. Ashley, where's your focus in managing climate change? Well, Drew, we grow grapes right across Australia, so as a consequence, I manage climate change pretty much every day. First thing I do is get up in the morning and myself and my team look at our phones to see what sort of uh, variables Mother Nature is going to throw at us. So I think it's something that most people in agriculture would consider themselves managers of climate change at a regular level. What about in terms of your forecasting then on a daily basis and, and longer than that then, Ashley? Yeah, so I, look, I think for most of us, we've now got reliable forecasts out seven to 14 days and that's something that we can sort of put into our immediate term programs and uh, operating parameters that we need to face. But in reality, I think for most of us now, particularly when you're building assets or considering your assets, we've got to sort of take that seven to 14 day program and span that out to 20 and 30 year programs. Most of what we do, we build permanent crops or permanent infrastructure and, and we put those assets together the last 20 to 50 years. So it's incumbent upon us to really look at that and think about how we're structuring those in the environment where we know that the climate's uh, changing on us. Ashley, you're a proponent of diversification to manage risks. So how do you go about spreading your risks in a climate volatile environment? Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of diversification. And I, I sort of learnt years ago in uh, when I was doing some other study that there was an economist called Harry Markowitz and he actually won a Nobel Prize by developing an economic theory that fundamentally underpins the way all of our super funds are managed for us these days. And what he did was establish a set of processes that for a given risk, you create a higher return or for a given return, you can reduce a, a lower risk. And he coined the phrase that the only free lunch in investing is diversification and by spreading a portfolio around. And really, I see that as no different to what I do at a day-to-day -day level. I'm, I'm a big fan of not putting all my eggs in one basket. Whether that be at an individual vineyard level, thinking about variety mixes, customer mixes, 
row orientation, the way we set up the vines, the pruning techniques, the watering regimes we use in our business because we're a bit bigger. I think about that in the context of diversifying maybe multiple sites, different slopes, different aspects, different microclimates, and then even within uh, a broader context, looking at different regions within a state and for our business nationally as well. So it's really about trying to put as many eggs in as many baskets as we can. Ashley, in an earlier ASVA podcast, we focused on irrigation optimization. Now, I understand that the millennium drought had a big impact on your viticultural practice. As we're promised a warmer and drier future, how are you thinking about water supply? Yeah, look, it, it might sound crazy, Drew, but one of the best things that ever happened to me was the millennial drought. We've got large holdings exposed in Langhorne Creek, and it was at the real pointy end of the stick of the millennial drought. Multiple years, our primary water resource was disappearing in front of our eyes, and it was you know, at the point where it could have been a catastrophic event for our business. So it was almost like climate change on steroids for us. And we were forced to adapt and manipulate both the infrastructure and the way we went about it. And it was a significant learning exercise for our business. So I think that the way I go about managing water and the way I think about water has permanently changed as a consequence of that. It sort of almost changed my DNA as far as how do I think about water resilience particular within the viticulture. So I go about a really simple mechanism where the old textbooks taught us about ETO and crop factors. And I'm a big fan of using ETO and crop factors. That's the meteorological data that shows us what plants need to perform. You know, there's a lot of technology available to us these days, but fundamentally the plant physiology combined with the climatic variables that we see dictates the amount of water that we need to put in. And for me, where I'm managing guys across the entire country, we can talk a common language irrespective of the climate variables they're facing. But really, in a longer term, one of the things the millennial drought taught me is that we have to have a plan B for our water resources. We have to think a bit more laterally about how we go about securing, optimising and using the water resources that we've got. So I think a lot about different water sources now, and it used to be just whatever came out of the tap or the, the river or the the dam. But now I look at things like um, brackish water resources, think about combining that with potentially reverse osmosis. I think about managed aquifer storage where we can take what is traditionally an ephemeral water supply in Australia with droughts and flooding rains and maybe store some of that in the aquifer for the drier times. I think about how we shandy and and treat water Uh, along the lines of how Israel do it. So they Basically, your water's not a wastewater until it's been used three times in Israel. And I think in Australia, we need to start thinking a bit more laterally about that as well. Ashley, how are you using the Climate Atlas to inform your viticultural practice and engineering resilience in the process? I think, Drew, one of the things that I really love about our industry and I've always enjoyed is the fact that we're very open to talk to our colleagues and all you have to do is pick the phone up and ask. And I think one of the things that Climate Atlas does for us is it gives us a bit of a sneak peek into the next warmer zone than our own. And so the opportunity for us to sort of pick up the phone or jump in the car and go and have a look at uh, another region that's operating potentially with a higher growing degree day or a slightly warmer, drier climate. And then we get to chew the fat and, and think about our own situation and strategy. So I think it's really important and the climate atlas allows us to do that sort of modelling in our own heads or a bit more formally 
as to how do I want to think about engineering resilience in my asset as I move forward. You know, a practical example of that would be irrigation systems. And 25 years ago when we set up irrigation systems, we used to build them for two to three millimetres a day. And recently down in Tasmania, looking at a new project down there, which is traditionally not a high water using environment, but I'm watching some of the best irrigation engineers in the country put together five millimetre a day systems. And it really sort of hit home as to that sort of collective thinking about how we're going to have to build resilience in the context of some of the physical assets that we build as well. And particularly from an industry point of view, as we go into a period where we're going to rework and revitalise some vineyards, maybe change different things about the vineyards, then I'd encourage all of us to think about the infrastructure that we're building and maybe up-spec another size because whilst it hurts a little bit when you do that financially, it's probably the cheapest money we'll spend as far as buying some insurance as we move forward. Ashley Keegan talked about the importance of diversification and engineering resilience to manage climate change. Treasury Wine Estates has 71 vineyards across Australia, and I'm joined now by their technical viticulturalist for Wynn's Coonawarra Estate, Dr Catherine Kidman. Catherine, firstly, what are some of the practical steps you're taking in the vineyard now to build resilience? I think there's a multitude of ways that we're working in our vineyards for mitigation against um, changes in climate. I think we all recognise that we're going into a climate of higher variability. And to this end, I think we need to be ready for whatever Mother Nature throws at us. So be that uh, canopy uh, manipulation. So responding to, say, for example, if we're at the moment, we're on a La Nina alert. So making sure that we have canopies that are, are ready to withstand potentially more rainfall events. So to that end, leaf plucking, ensuring that we have plenty of wind movement throughout the canopy, but also exposing our vines to more light if it does become a a cooler condition or or a wetter sort of vintage. We're still able to ripen our fruit and get the fruit flavours that we're hoping for from the vintage. So there's a number of different ways. We're also obviously look at a multi-pronged approach. So we look from the ground up. So how we're looking at our soil, um, soil moisture monitoring, for example, cover crop species that we're growing, and also just how we're treating our, our grapevines throughout the year. So making sure that they are receiving just the right amount of irrigation if we do need to put some supplementary irrigation on, but making sure that it's only done at the right time so that we're not unduly adding to our vegetative growth and we're just keeping those vines in a finite level of stress. And we do this in a number of ways. We have quite a lot of technology here at Winds that we're able to utilise and are very fortunate to be able to have these tools at our disposal. So to this end, we commonly throughout the season will go through our vineyards and measure the vine water status. And we use that with more traditional techniques, such as the pressure bomb. And that helps us give us gives us an understanding of how stressed the vines are from a water status point of view. And we marry that up with our environmental conditions. So what's happening from a forecast point of view, what's happened in the past, from rainfall but also what's on the horizon and we also have some new technology that we've been trialling for a number of years here at Winds, known as thermographic towers or thermographic indices and that really is quite an exciting piece of technology it sits permanently within the vineyard and it's logging on a 24-hour basis I guess the heat stress or the heat map of the vineyard and when we marry all these technologies together it, it helps us to really 
understand the current climatic conditions that we're growing our grapes in now but it also helps us with our data curation over time as well so we can start to learn if we've had conditions like these in the past how did we manage to get the best outcome so I think to that end there's a, a lot going on in our vineyards to make sure that we can produce the best quality fruit for our wine styles here at Wins. Catherine, you have an amazing amount of resources there in, in terms of being able to monitor to the moment. How do you work then with Bureau of Meteorology forecasts? Yeah, certainly. So we have, I guess, the Bureau of Meteorology forecasters on call. I deal with the meteorology up in Adelaide quite frequently. They brief us on the potential climate, but also the weather. And we also partner with a digital analytical company called The Yield, who also give us climate forecasts. So to this end, again, there's always more than one sort of approach, I guess, that we take. So from the Bureau of Meteorology, they give us, I guess, climate outputs. So we look at things like the ENSO, so La Nina alert that I had mentioned earlier. They also tell us about what's happening with the Indian Ocean Dipole and the Southern Annular Mode, which has massive impacts on our weather and how and when that weather will approach us and what impact it might have. But also we use their forecasts. So the seven day forecasts that the Bureau put out, and we also marry that with the yield as well. So they have a 14 day forecast and the 14 day forecast, we know that it has some errors the further out you get, but it's a very good tool to use for planning for things like spraying or if you need to do some canopy manipulation it helps understand when is the best time to do these mitigation techniques within the vineyard and it also helps us with our irrigation scheduling too if we can start to see I guess some movements about heat waves on the horizon we can really start to look and plan and prioritise irrigation if needs be to some areas and not others. So it's a very powerful technique and I think having those two reputable measures of climate and weather is extremely important and um, it helps dictate the way we manage our grapevines. We have a lot of data that we collect using the Bureau of Meteorology. So we actually have a climate gridded to a lot of our vineyards in particular. So we can go back in time and we find this really useful because it helps us with generating things like analogue years. So we look at what the season has done in the past and are we tracking similarly to a past season? And that's really important because it helps us to understand what happened in the past and how we best manage that to get the best quality outcome. Down here in Coonawarra, we're quite prone to issues with flowering and fruit set. And I have a lovely little Excel scatter plot that I plot um, looking at past climate and I can sort of line it up and say, okay, we're analoguing like um, a certain year. Okay, that year we had a poorer fruit set or we had really good fruit set. It just helps me visualise what the potential season is going to be. And now with these long range outputs that we can get, I can start to run a season out and see how that's going to analogue. And, and that impacts us in terms of harvest timing. We can start to think about, okay, when are these grapes likely to be ripe and when they're coming in? And are there any adverse weather events that are on the horizon? So these um, climate outlooks are extremely important and, and they're used very heavily by us here at Winds and, and more broadly by Treasury as a business. Catherine, you mentioned there some of the really long-range stuff in regards to La Nino and the Indian Ocean Dipole. Given the more dynamic weather systems, how are you combining those sorts of long-range forecasts and also the climate atlas to plan for the future? 
The Climate Atlas is a brilliant piece of data, really, and, you know, it, it goes into model ensembles and it helps us to assess the future climate conditions in a very simple way. There's a lot of complex data here, but when you look at those those infographics on the, those standalone pages, it's very easy to get a snapshot as to what's happening into the future. And so for us here at WINS, the Climate Atlas helps us to evaluate the impact of what's happening at the present moment, but also what might happen into the future. So you can see what's on the horizon, and I guess it looks at the key elements of rainfall, temperature, but also aridity, which is a really interesting sort of concept that for myself personally, I'm going to pay a bit more attention to. And from a, a very simple notion, it's, you know, do you have enough rainfall to offset this warming climate. And to me, that's quite an interesting point that the atlas heightens you too. So you can see that decreasing in the aridity factor as you as you go into a warming climate. And that sort of signals in your brain, okay, how are we going to mitigate against this into the future? What's our irrigation capacity going forward? And also what our, our likely varietal resilience is going to be too. And I guess to that end, can we look inwards as to helping us mitigate against climate into the future? So from a clonal point of view, are there some clones that are better adapted to a warming, more drying environment? And I think it's an amazing opportunity to marry academia and practical grape growing. So looking out into the vineyard to see if it can help us with drought tolerance into the future. Catherine, you've got a lot of historical data from your region and from the vineyard. I understand you've got a heritage block down there and you're getting some interesting results in terms of epigenetics. What are you seeing? Well, Drew, the Johnson's block, so it's uh, just south of the Winds Winery, was planted in 1954 and it's never had irrigation. So it's endured over 60 years of, of Coonawarra climate. And we often work these vineyards just to assess them. They're our heritage vineyards and we want to make sure that they thrive into the future. They are our sort of genetic backbone, I suppose. And we noticed in this particular season, 2016, that some vines were doing extremely well and others weren't. And, and remember, they've never had irrigation. So there was something unusual going on within this vineyard that really made us pose a question that are there vines within this vineyard that are adapting better to a changing climate than others? And it really posed this question about epigenetics. So is there some sort of trait going on within some of these vines that are, are causing them to be more adapted to a warming, drying climate? And so it sort of sparked this question and we have, you know, since gone into evaluating this with the likes of CSIRO and the University of Adelaide to really test this question. Does the vineyard have the capacity to adapt to a changing climate and we have taken some clones from this vineyard of these superior drought adapted grapevines that we believe are potentially going to be future fit in a warming drying environment and we've just planted them in a vineyard so we're going to put them through their paces and really see whether this um, this trait that we're seeing in the vineyard in this Johnson's vineyard whether that can be inherited to the next generation so to the daughter progeny for example from the mother vines can this drought tolerance capability be something that we we can cultivate and um, and use as a way forward into our planting of our new vineyards that are more resilient to the changing climate and in particular to a drying, warming climate. Technical viticulturist for Winds Coonawarra Estate, Dr Catherine Kibben, you've got a lot of amazing technology on the go there. You're treating this as a challenge that you can deal with and thank you so much for sharing your insights with us for this ASVO podcast. Thanks, Drew. It's been my absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you.
This ASVO podcast is part of a series funded by Wine Australia. ASVO's mission is to advance technical knowledge and promote excellence. For more information, visit asvo.com.au.